This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Every single thing that occurs, I want people to remember this is a business. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Scott Soshnank. Duke. Everybody loves rooting against him, right? Evan Novi Williams. Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. The CEO of Oracle, Mark Hurts. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster. Mindy race car driver, Elio Castroneves. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Bond. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports, looking ahead to key themes heading into the new year, including Evan Sports, betting, streaming, over Media the top. Rights deals. Media rights deals. Esports. You you name it. And from the cool department joining us to do that, our special guest host for today's program is Rick Burton. David B. Falkendahl, professor of sport management at Syracuse University's David B. Falk College of Sport. Rick, thank you so much for joining us on this special New Year's edition of Bloomberg Business of Sports. Gentlemen, so great to be here and uh, great to be in the city at uh, the holiday time of season. I love to have you on, especially on a show like this, because you are really a Swiss Army knife of knowledge of sport. I mean, people have specific specialties, but you really have seen and done a broad array of things. So I will let you start. If I say to you, Rick Burton, maybe I should have prepped you for this because now you'd be like, ah, oh, but it's okay. What do you believe was the biggest sports business story of the year? So two of them come to mind right away. One is the name, image, and likeness deal with the mm. NCAA, which potentially threatens how we understand amateur athletics in America. And we can talk later on about how that affects Affects, let's say the Little League World Series, which is the yep. same kind of animal. Uh, I think the other is sport betting and, and the fact that so many states rushed in logically because there was money to be made on sport wagering. And I think that's going to change the landscape a lot for Americans because of what you can do through technology and gambling. Now, you're on the campus all the time at Syracuse um, and you are the faculty rep to the NCAA. So you, you offer a unique perspective. When did the drumbeat really start on this? Was there a was there a causation? We've been hearing about it for years. Players want more, and the NCA is a cartel. We've hear these things, but what was it that really stoked this drumbeat? Well, I think you got to go back to the EA Sports lawsuit and look at the the initial thing, which was that EA was making a video game that really used the image and likeness to a degree. I mean, obviously it was graphics, and it led to the infamous lawsuit that I think you know now a lot of people will talk about the Ninth Circuit Court in California. Lawsuit led by Ed O'Bannon, former former UCLA basketball star. Um, yeah, I think I agree with you. I think name, image, and likeness is fascinating. And I've been struck, even in the past maybe three or four months, how the conversation when you talk to college administrators or if you hear NCAA President Mark Emmert speak, they seem to have now come around to this as being an eventuality. Um, and I'm very curious, and I would love to hear your thoughts how you think this happens if, you know, we had a state, California, that passed a, a, a bill that will force its schools to do it in a couple of years. A number of other states are considering similar legislation with a, a smaller time frame. Uh, now there's talk of federal, you know, obviously the NCA can just vote to do this on its own. How do you think that the, the big, massive change that I think we're all expecting to come, how do you think it actually happens? My guess is, and I, and I saw some stories on this involving President Emmert, is that you've got to have federal intervention, which, hmm. of course, is an issue 
to because usually no sport entity wants, wants the government. Yeah, Evan and I looked at each other and said, wait a minute, is Emmert really courting federal intervention here? Well, that well, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm reading. Yeah, and, and that's a lifeboat, essentially, for, for the NCAA. Right? Well, I, I wrote something about that five years ago, and everyone I talked to said this is the last gasp move for the NCAA is to, is to try to go that route. And what's really funny on that is the fact that uh, you, you have to understand that our system, our intercollegiate athletic system, really sets up our Olympic movement because mm. we're really the only country in the world that doesn't have governmental involvement in the preparation of athletes for the Olympics. And that role was played by the NCAA. And so every two years, because you have winter games and summer games, the NCAA delivers these athletes that are ready to go out and, and represent the, the country. And we don't see that with any other country in the world that has an NCAA type system. One of the questions is, are we about to destroy that system? And where do you stand on that one? I don't think anyone would allow it. I think there are probably too many people making too much money. And off by the of way, should we say many of those sports, I would say the overwhelming majority of those sports on the collegiate level do not make money. That's correct. And and so the, the two that we're always talking about when it comes to name, image, and likeness are generally men's and women's basketball and football. And, you know, football doesn't play into the Olympics, so we can get rid of that part of the discussion. And it's also, a, you know, bigger roster size. So you've got 100 players on a team. But if this thing goes the wrong way, I imagine this is a sea change for the NCAA, and, and you could see wholesale change. And I'm not predicting it, but I'm saying that I think that's a possibility. I want to go back to something you said earlier about uh, betting and now how the whole technology has changed. I mean, we can bet in several states, and all you have to do is bring up your phone. It's like, oh, okay, I'll take that line, and bam, that's it. Uh, and more states are going to join that. How is this going to change the landscape of America? Well, I think you've got the fans who are going to be doing a lot more gambling. But if you're thinking about it from the collegiate level, you're going to possibly have people betting on games and sitting next to the athlete in class. I mean, I think the whole amateur model still requires that the student athlete be a student and go to class. And now you could have somebody betting on you as to whether or not you made a free throw. I think the amount of money that's going to pour in is going to be massive. I think the leagues are going to want a piece of it. Um, I think 2021 is a really critical year when you look at the NFL's broadcast rights are coming up. Amazon is kind of starting to signal they may get into that action. They're really already Don't there. get too far ahead on us, Burton. Yeah. We're gonna, yeah. We have plenty of time, buddy. 2021. I know. We, we need to solve 2020. The whole landscape has changed, as we were talking about earlier. What does Las Vegas think about all of this? Because they have to be losing business. Not everybody is going to, oh, I just got to go to Las Vegas. I think you're probably right, but I, I imagine that they're quick. They're nimble. I think they'll probably be new and improved Vegas. I think they'll be looking at different ways to leverage what they're already good at. Uh, in the old days, I think people just bet the game, who would win the game, and they would bet the over-under maybe. Uh, today, you're going to be betting on individual outcomes. You're going to bet the next pitch, the next free throw, the Live next— Live betting, yeah. yeah. And, and what, we're, it, what we're talking about is the value of data. Right. The, you, you need speed and you need accuracy. Who wins that ball game? because now carriers matter, exclusivity matters. And this comes back to Amazon, and, and my thinking is is that if you're really good with the analytics, with the algorithms and things like that, you're going to know how to put that data opportunity in front of your audience. And I think that's where the NFL gets really interesting because Amazon and the NFL means you've got data control in really unique ways. We just had, uh, a couple months ago, an NFL player suspended for, for gambling on NFL games, including a game on the team that, that he was currently playing for. I think that we are at some point going to have some kind of major 
scandal, you know, especially now that sports betting is more prevalent and there are more, you, more people doing doing it. Um, what do you think? What kind of effect do you think that happens when it does happen? Whether it's a college basketball team in Alabama or if it's a an, an NFL or, or NHL team. Yeah, it's horrific. I think in so many ways, and this is the challenge that the commissioners face. And, you know, so you had to deal with Pete Rose going back. David Stern had to deal with the referee scandal, mm. uh, and and so these are not unknown to us. The Chicago White Sox, Black Sox of nineteen nineteen. But every commissioner knows that if they get it wrong, the integrity of the game is threatened. And really, the revenue, all these revenue streams we talk about on this show and, and that, that permeate the industry, people sometimes forget, which is what the commissioners don't. They understand that at its core, the game is the most important thing. If people do not believe that these outcomes are not predetermined, the rest of that stuff goes away. Absolutely. And, and I think what you've got as at least a, a, an analog is uh, Indian cricket uh, hmm. deals with uh, betting scandals all the times and players fixing matches. And it's destructive. And low, lower level tennis as well. And, and now they're taking a lot of these tournaments off the board. Yeah. And so what's going to happen is you're going to have that much more scrutiny of the athletes, I think, because there's so much at risk. How much different is that? risk from, let's say, the risk that I think the NFL is kind of wading into right now regarding officiating and the rule book. And I feel like almost every Sunday there's a catch that's not a catch. Fans don't know the rules. Referees sometimes don't seem to know the rules. Is that the same kind of thing where where a fan sitting at home might think, oh, man, this is... I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Could on the you field imagine, anymore. like, bet, like betting? We said you're going to bet on everything. The coin toss the other day. The NFL couldn't per- get the coin perfect, toss perfect right. Perfect example. Right. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't the get the coin toss right. And it leads to people believing they're conspiracies, right? Exactly. It leads to people yeah. believing that something's fixed and you can't afford that. So your technical security is going to be an area. If you want to talk about where students should think about majoring for the future in terms of going to college, mm-hmm. think about all the data analytics side. And Syracuse has a sport analytics program. But Look it's at you. Be, it's going to be so much more than that. It's would that be, be at the David Vafonka? <laughs> would be in his college. Uh, but cybersecurity is going to be so huge. Well, you know what Mark Cuban said the other day, uh, and we talked about this once. Right. He said, "What's the most overrated part of tech in, right now?" And he said, "Analytics." And he said, "You need to look ahead. It's machine learning and artificial intelligence." Yeah. And I, and I think at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, here we are in a 2020 look ahead, event, yeah. you're going to have um, robots who are going to be playing the role of volunteers, and the robots are going to speak 60 different languages, and they'll be semi-autonomous or whatever big word we want to use, and they'll wander around the entire prefect of the Olympics. Self-driving buses, I think, are also in the in the works for the Tokyo Olympics as well. Yeah. Well, it sounds like what Vivek Ranadive wants to do with the Sacramento Kings, he's talking about drone-aided parking, so when you are on your way to the arena, you can find out where the available spots are in real time. And then security robots in the arena, predictive analytics. So if Rick Burton walks in with his son and his daughter and his granddaughter. Thank you. They, you're welcome. Woo. Mazel tov on that. <laughs> they will know. Last time you were here, she had a hot dog. You had a burger. And they'll bring it to you even before you get to your seat. Yeah, absolutely right. And and so now you're thinking about are the owners of these teams keeping pace with what technology is going to provide? The, rather than pay money to those companies to provide these things, the owners of these teams slash the players in these teams or in these leagues are investing in those very startups. But let's be honest. The answer to that is right now is no, right? I mean – on the are whole, they keeping pace? No. Yeah, on the whole, it's sports, sports owners are not 
keeping pace with with all the technology and the advancements in in data and you know fan experience that I think are out there right now. And you know the declining attendance at college football. There, there's plenty of metrics you can point to that say that the the onus is on them now. I think right now is a very important moment for them to to maybe get ahead of the eight ball. Yeah, Rick, where do you stand then on the in arena versus at home experience? Because you know, listen, we're all in this because we love sports and we got into it, right? But there's a big part of me these days when I look. Oh, it's going to take me an hour to get out of the parking lot. Eh, though it's a little cold right now. I, I the bathroom's right here. It's pretty good to sit in your living room and enjoy a game. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're going to see smaller stadiums in the future, and you're going to see more plush. And, and the VIP boxes are already there. I think that's going to come down into the mainstream seating. As it is today, I think you could make a case that the average human is now not wealthy enough to be able to afford to go to a pro sporting mm-hmm. event. Most people never go anywhere. I mean, like, you know, what is it? 97% of the country doesn't live anywhere near a stadium. They never get there. But for the networks to broadcast the games, they've got to see full stadiums. For the sponsors to want to be involved, they got to believe the eyeballs are there. So the leagues are going to have to actually make sure that there are going to be those kind of amenities at the stadium that make people think that that's a better place to so be. So it's a premium service-driven... And now, let, now let's go back to the gambling, and right. let's talk about the stadium becoming the book, right? The stadium becomes— Ted Leonsis is halfway there. And, yeah. and, and that's yeah. who I was going to bring up, and, and Ted's ahead of the curve. Yeah. And I think he understands he wants you to be able to walk up to the outside of the stadium, even if you don't come in and engage or actually get involved with your betting inside the stadium. And I have to bring this up, this because everybody knows—I'm sorry to throw a curveball here—auto racing is near and dear to my heart. And somebody said the number. What's the number one topic in that has happened in auto racing that has changed the landscape? I, I was not prepared for this. I don't know, Bar. What is that? Roger Penske buying the Indianapolis Motor okay, Speedway yeah. and IRL. It has been. Rick is giving you thumbs up. He's see, excited about this. See, see, it's it, it's been in the 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 speedway has been in the Rick, Holman we, family. We are not the experts on this end of the of yeah. the line here. Bar <laughs> loves his. Ne- He's got a Mark Martin jacket. I know. This is where they give me Jared Tall at this point. <laughs> The Speedway has been in the Holman family just right after the World War II. And it had been in the family up until this, well, I would say, what, a few months ago when yeah. Penske bought it. And now he's bought IRL. That is going to change the the landscape of racing big time. Yeah, I think it will. And, and you're going to see, I think, more of this down in Australia there's a guy who bought the entire basketball Tell the world league. you were the commissioner of the well, NBL. I was the commissioner of the NBL from 2003 to 2007. Uh, and we've got a guy down there, Larry Kesselman, who, like Roger mm-hmm. Penske, said, I'm not convinced that the people running the show and dealing with the bureaucracies are getting it right. I'm just going to buy the whole thing outright. And I will decide to run this as a business, and it'll be much more— Single-entity structure is the best way to sort of ensure controlling costs and make some money. And, you know, MLS has proven that. Yeah, there you go. And MLS has grown really exponentially under Don Garber, and you have to look at the fact that they could very soon be a 30-team league, and you'll start to say, could they be as relevant as the EPL or the La Liga? But let's go back to auto racing. So on auto racing, I guess the question is, NASCAR seemingly has been flat and has maybe uh, been trying 
trying to figure out how to keep what it once had. Uh, IRL has been much less of an event, but I think I'd bet on Roger. I, I, I'm not a gambler. I'm not a better, but I would. <laughs> it's I okay would, if you are. You're close you know, to New Jersey. <laughs> but I, I would tell you that I think if there's anyone, and I don't know how old Roger is, but it, I hope he's got 20 years left to really turn around IRL. With NASCAR, they just inked a deal where they have a brand new sponsorship. Now you have uh, several entities coming together to sponsor the Premier League in NASCAR. And think about the technology that's involved in motorsports. And that ties in nicely with all the things that are going on technologically. So you got to imagine Detroit and, and Japan are going to want these auto racing leagues to be successful. You, we, we're talking about the NBA and China. And we we'll get to, we're going to get to that in the next segment. We're going to save that for the All last right, segment. Go, go but I want to no, I want to ask Rick about MLS. I mean, you've got David Tepper involved. You, you've got people buying in at two hundred fifty, three hundred million dollar plus valuations. I don't are these teams making five hundred million value? Yeah, sorry, half a billion dollars. And you're like, for MLS, like, how do you justify the valuations? Is it betting on the future and content, or is the money there now? I think the money is not yet there, but they imagine it will be. And the asset appreciation is going to go up. It's the world sport. Um, and I think if you believe that, that they can make America really care about soccer. Now, the question is, which of the other big four sports is most at risk if MLS gets bigger? Where's the market share coming from? Are we going to just make the pie bigger or is it going to come we, from? We don't ask you to ask questions. We ask you to answer <laughs> questions, Rick Burton. I'm going to say it's not the NFL. Yeah, I'd agree uh, with that. I would say it's not the NBA. Yeah, I'll go on a le- on a limb and say I don't think it's the NHL, which I think is actually doing some, say that. some yeah. powerful things. The, the, and yeah. by the way, their broadcast rights are up before the others. We're going to get a good litmus test right now into the value of content. It's specifically, I mean, that's a lot of games. And you know Disney and ESPN is like, hmm, we have a streaming service. This would look really good there. But NBC's done a great job propping it up. So do, do you split the package? Does Gary sell it to the highest bidder solely? How much streaming does he go? There's been a lot of continuity at the NHL, and I just did a piece on them uh, for an upcoming issue of Sports Business Journal uh, with Norm O'Reilly, and and we're actually pretty bullish on the NHL going forward. All that leaves out, though, you know, the last man, not our <laughs> last baseball. woman, yeah. not not with a chair to sit down on, is Major League Baseball. I think baseball can continue to make a lot of money and not be as popular as it was, right? I mean, 20 years ago, baseball teams were extremely reliable, reliant on the gate, right? Ticket sales were essentially everything. And now that media has risen significantly, they're not as reliant as uh, people coming anymore. As long as people are watching and as long as, you know, as long as like kids are Fox, watching it on TikTok and companies yeah. like Fox and ESPN and Sinclair are willing to shell out all this money for live programming. I think baseball will, will continue to be okay. And one of the major issues that happened in 2019 China and the NBA had a big dust-up. Yeah, they sure did, and and I'm sure it's something Adam Silver did not want, uh, but it's something that he had to deal with, and I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes that is not being reported on, uh, which is the NBA looking to repair everything inside their relationship with the country of China. And the upside of the China population, right, a billion and a half people, is you don't want to get that wrong. But if I'm Adam and if I'm Mark Tatum— I am so scared, no matter what I do behind the scenes, and you have decades of goodwill built up, and still this happened, I can put patch and band-aid. The fact remains that if one of my players 
who has access to broadcasting to the world these days just does anything, all of that goes away. Yeah, I think that's the, a real risk. And I'm sure that the NBA is trying to do everything it can with the Players Association to say, guys, you're going to make a lot more money now and in the future if we have it right with China. And and, and they're going to they're gonna have to ask nicely to the, to the Players Association and to their general managers and their owners and say, guys, please understand the magnitude of revenues that we're well, talking about. I think about the owners here. know. Yeah, sure. That, you know, but the players... I mean, realistically, for now, if I'm a, if I want to be greedy, I'm going to get paid no matter what. That's the fact. I get paid no matter what, but I can certainly do damage to the league's ability to generate revenue in the future. That's a scary proposition. There's also there's also a political calculus Absol- here as well, right? We saw a couple of weeks ago Arsenal, one of the biggest European soccer teams. They had a game in China that was blacked out because one of their star players, Mesut Ozil, he said something about the Chinese treatment of Uyghurs. I feel like just because of the political landscape across the world right now, countries, teams, leagues are, are being more accountable for the money that they take on, right? And the truth is that sports as an entity across the world, there's so much investment in sports teams, leagues, people from countries that have sketchy politics. And I wonder, and Rich, Rick, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, if, you know, heading into 2020, if there's more, maybe a bigger, you know, a bigger spotlight on the fact that WWE does this huge event in Saudi Arabia every year, or that PSG is owned by uh, some... Uh, Qatari Wealth yeah, Fund. Yeah, Qatari Wealth Fund. Um, I don't know. I, I wonder if we're going to keep heading into more and more of this, where teams that make, or leagues that make a lot of money in other countries are running up against the politics of those countries. Yeah, and you make a great point, and I think there's a risk-reward here and the cost of doing business. And I think you're going to see probably a lot more interest in India. Mm. And it doesn't automatically kind of flow off the lips that you take basketball into India or you take auto racing. It does if you're Vivek and you're Mukesh Ambani. But and there are a lot of people who are starting to say, if it's really difficult and the cost of doing business in China gets prohibitive, then let's think about whether we can go into India or Brazil, the, you know, the BRIC countries where there are eyeballs. And these owners and these commissioners have actually got to be really nimble. I used that word earlier, but they've got to be nimble about how to actually raise the bar in each of the places where there's opportunity. It's funny you said eyeballs because something, it, it harkens me back to something John Skipper said years ago when he was running ESPN. He said, just get the eyeballs. I don't care what you, just get me the eyeballs. Then he, then he took it on himself. It's my job to figure out how to monetize it. But just give me the eyeballs. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Now, let's go back to China for a minute. You said sketchy politics. That's always <clears throat> dangerous to suggest that anyone is less than anyone else. Sure. But I think there's a reality, which is if you want to do business in China, you, to a degree, you've got to play by their rules. Mm-hmm. They operate differently than other countries. And, and you've got to say that they've got this growing middle class. They've got disposable income. Their economy has been a little flat the last year or so, but there's so much upside over there. And all of it, ha- nothing happens in a vacuum. This all is happening while trade deals are being negotiated. Uh, it's all part of a big package. But we said eyeballs. Edmund, you, you said something to me earlier about League of Legends. What, what, what about eyeballs and esports? And you, you're much well, yeah, more funny. better versed than when I am. When you mentioned this. that Skipper quote, esports is dealing with this right now, right? Where they have so many eyeballs and the monetization part, which I think has been very easy for traditional sports, has become a little harder when you're dealing with a much younger cohort of of fans. And, and I think that we're kind of seeing at this point maybe a little pullback right now from all the the buzz 
that is happening in esports. Rick, are you are you bullish on esports? Do you think it was just overhyped a bit? Kind of where do you sit on where we're gonna where we're gonna be in twelve months? No, continue to be very bullish on esports. And in fact, I'm going to be teaching a class on esports. Where are you going to be teaching that, that class? That would be at Syracuse <laughs> University. Man, we need to go to yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah. Man. I need to go to. Hey, I spent four years in those classrooms. <laughs> I'm need, done. <laughs> you need to come up and do a live show from Syracuse. But let's go back to one of the biggest owners inside esports is Tencent, and and so. Mm-hmm. That's in China. Uh, and so there's, this is a real global phenomena, um, much like kind of the EPL or, or, or you know, UEFA has a, a, an appeal across the world. Uh, esports is really, really popular in a lot of the countries where we don't think about it. Mm-hmm. See, I, I, I agree with you because I think, remember, in the early 1960s on TV, we had Championship Bridge. They televised Championship Bridge. And I'm, I'm looking you remember at the it, sponsor? Everything it, back then presented by? Yeah, presented Campbell. by. Geritol. The Geritol. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But I, we watch that. So why in the world would we not watch esports? We can just watch it at home, and one day it's going to be televised just like any other sport. Yeah, here's the thing, though. You can watch it, and you can watch it for free. And right. everybody is used to that ecosystem, right? Whereas traditional sports fans understand that I pay a cable bill, and built into that cable bill is the reason why I can watch the Yankees or watch the Rangers or watch the Knicks. When you don't have that kind of background to fall back on, I think the big question is the moment you try to make that expensive for people who have never paid for it in the past— this is this does is just that, human behavior. The kids don't want to pay for it. It's what I, I've said yeah. before. The kids don't want to pay for right. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And they have they use ad blocker on their computers, right? Which hurts the way that digital ads are, are are presented, which hurts that revenue stream. I think it's a very interesting question moving forward. So looking into the future, you'd have to say that organizations like Twitch, which are really interesting, yeah. and who owns Twitch, uh, which I believe is Facebook, Amazon, yeah, Amazon. Or, or Amazon, sorry, and a la carte ordering. <laughs> so so e, I think you're right that it, what we're going to see probably in the future is not this mass marketing, but the personalization mm-hmm. piece. You're right. What I think you're, what the data and the tech will allow you to do, and you, you sort of see a little bit now, I'm sure you've tried to buy a product for your granddaughter now. Right. You're going to be inundated with those ads for whatever that product was for a while on your Facebook feed or whatever it is. But we're getting to a time where you, your commercial, will be watching the same game. Your commercial would be different from my commercial, which would be different from bar which elevates the value of each of those eyeballs, whereby an Amazon or somebody will be willing to pay more for the property that attracts those eyeballs. I will take a breath now. Yeah, you're exactly right. And and what's happening is you're being listened to. So if we talk about kitchen countertops, one Ooh, of us grab it. Let's do it. Let's one of us will probably get an ad on our phone from kitchen countertops, not even believing our phone was listening to yeah, us. That's, yeah, that's that happened uh, just uh, a few days ago, where Facebook all of a sudden people were out shopping and they're out in the mall, whatever, and all of a sudden here comes on Facebook an ad for what they were trying to buy. So I, yes, yeah, and that personalization though. So you really just hit it, Scott, which is that you're going to have that kind of almost independent broadcast, you know, with an audience of one, and it's going to be customized to what I want, the statistics I want to benefit my gambling, um, the advertising that fits kind of my profile, profile. my demographic, my psychographics, all those pieces. And that's really hard to imagine, but Big Brother is going to get a little bit bigger, I think, in this coming year. We've got about two minutes left, Rick. And normally I wouldn't say that one team transaction should make sort of the big story of the year list. However, when it's a New York team, when it's the New York Mets and when the buyer is Steve Cohen, I think that qualifies as this is a big deal that the Wilpons have finally agreed to let go. But just bringing Steve Cohen into the sport, 
And we see David Tepper getting involved. It's sort of these mega wealthy folks. It's one of the reasons the NBA has this new financial instrument for people to buy in. They're just getting so expensive. The pool of buyers is shrinking. What can we expect to see in terms of sport ownership and who's getting involved? Well, I think there are more billionaires out there, and you see that in the political arena now. If you've got a billion or so dollars or $50 billion, you're actually thinking about what can I go buy? I might be able to buy the presidency. I might be able to buy a team or I might be able to buy a league. Uh, and so I think you'll see more of it. And there are more billionaires than you think. Uh, and, and, you know, the, process, the premise in, in sports has always been the next greatest fool. And I don't mean to suggest that about Mr. Cohen, but I think the issue is you always want someone just sitting outside the club. There's only 32 owners. Or These commissioners owners. have plenty of folks on the runway is what you're saying. Yeah. They always have them on the runway. <clears throat> yeah. And they, I mean, what is it? The scarcity value? What's the biggest driver? Is it the future media? Is it the scarcity value? Or can we separate all that No, stuff? scarcity, exclusivity. It's the, it's the world's most elite club to be an NFL owner. And there's only 32 people allowed in the club. When do you think we see... If down. ever a team sell for less than an it sold down for sale. the last time, yeah. I've predicted it for twenty years, and I've been wrong <laughs> the entire time. So I don't think we're we I don't think we've hit that market correction point yet, sure. both in terms of broadcast rights fees or in terms of team values. People last year, we were probably talking about the demise of the NFL. Uh, I think everybody got that one wrong, huh? Do you see the numbers in the NFL? Oh my goodness, is off the chart. Professor Rick Burton with the sports management at Syracuse University's David B. Falk College of Sport. Thank you so much for joining us. Guys, thank you for letting me be the utility infielder that you needed <laughs> just before the year ended. Welcome anytime. Would he be Buddy Biancalana? Who would he be? Who, who do you want to be? No, Which I like is, that. You like the Buddy Biancalana? Yeah, or? I like that. It, uh, I was wondering why I was getting Dr. Scholl's inserts ads on Facebook. So I'm just uh, talking about it too much. <laughs> Yeah, really. Uh, you've been listening to a special New Year's edition of the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, and we're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thank you very much for joining us. Please tune in next week when we continue to speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. Happy New Year! You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio around the world.